Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Welcome and good morning. My name is Russell. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm really glad that you all are here today. I was standing in the back and I was thinking about um, how in our time, I actually believe it to be very brave to come to church. Um, Whatever your motivation even is in that, um, seeking hope, seeking meaning, um, seeking God, seeking friends. Um, And I know a lot of us have been through a lot. Um, So even as I'm standing in the back, um, I want to read our our passage here, but then I just want to pray that um, God would meet you here today. That if you're seeking uh, hope, if you're seeking meaning, um, whatever it may be, that that would be found today in a really uh, real way. And, and lastly, I, I really believe that one of the most important things that you could do today is to receive prayer at the end. And so uh, if, you know, if life is coming at you or if there's just like a simple thing, um, please receive prayer at the end today. So, all right, let me read today's teaching text and we'll get into our fourth value in our um, cultivating series on covenant community. Um, today's teaching text comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So Lord, I just pause up front, really sensing that um, we are a people desiring. We're a people desiring relationship with you. Um, We're a a people desiring hope. We're a people desiring um, depth in our lives. And so I just pray, God, that um, in that you would meet us here, um, particularly as we look at this passage about um, the community that you started and that you desired to take hold. And I pray that the, that the vision that we're given today would be something that um, you're cultivating in this church right now, right here. And so, God, um, we open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you today to, um, to hear from you. And, God, would you speak? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord and my God, I love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so the Atlantic has a podcast right now. Um, I think it's a reaction to uh, the pandemic. It's called How to Talk to People. Um, has anybody listened to this? Uh, the title cracks me up um, because I'm like, have, have, am I awkward? Have I forgotten how to you know, engage with people? Uh, but the latest episode is called The Infrastructure of Community. And the discussion is really around how physical spaces can actually encourage or discourage social life. And so there's discussions about the library and the cafe and parks and the the playground. And they interview a professor at NYU uh, named Eric Klinenberg, who's an expert on uh, city infrastructure and and urban life. And he says in, in the podcast, you tend to enrich your social life when you stop and linger and waste time. 
You tend to enrich your social life when you stop and linger and waste time. And so he talks about how when uh, Americans travel to other countries, they don't actually um, really know what to do with the souk or the coffee shop or the wine bar or the plaza because people are like crushing time, right? Like we're like, Bill, please, like I gotta, I gotta get going, right? And I love, this is the phrase he said uh, repeatedly here. He said, efficiency is the enemy of the social life. And I was like, oh, Man, you're, you're killing me. If I know anything about myself, I hate wasting time. Like, I love efficiency. I love a good full calendar. I love at the beginning of the day getting a piece of paper on my desk, writing the things that I'm going to do, and just, like, crossing them off. I'll write down things I already did that morning and cross it off, right? Um, I, in the morning, sometimes I'm like, okay, I got to go to the bank today. I'm going to be at the office, and I got to grab groceries. So I'll actually go to the bank on the way to the office. I'll go to the office. At lunch, I'll grab groceries that I need for on the way home. Please tell me I'm not alone in this. Okay. Thank you, people. All right. This is, uh, this is what we, we came here today. And then I hear this. Efficiency is the enemy of social life. So I'm bound to have no friends soon. Uh, that's why I share this. And I read this passage in, in Acts chapter 2, and I kept thinking this week, the early church knew how to linger. Like the early church knew how to hang out and to be present. So let me give you a little bit of background on, on Acts because um, um, a little bit of biblical background may be actually helpful here. Um, the book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. It's written by um, one of the gospel writers, Luke. Um, and really Acts follows or chronicles the life of early Christians. And the book of Acts serves as a really wonderful bridge from the Gospels into the epistles, these, these letters written to established, already established churches. And so Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke and then Acts. And actually, it's two parts. You can sort of leave them together. And here's what Luke says in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. With this in mind, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not the first gospel writer, meaning he probably had some other source material. We went through the gospel of Mark uh, last year, and he's writing what's called, he, he says he wants to write an orderly account. What he's saying is, is I got the details. I'm in the details, and I want to write an account of the life and work of Jesus in my gospel, but then actually that's going to continue on into the book of Acts. And there's this really cool feature that you'll find in the book of Acts if you read it straight through. You're seeing the word they a lot in our passage. They devoted themselves. They sold pop property. They broke bread in their homes. But I think I can't remember if it's chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, whatever of Acts. You start to see the word we. And what Luke is actually doing is he's saying, I was actually there. I, I was there. I was an, I'm an eyewitness to all the things that have happened. And he sort of inserted himself into this. He's immersed in the community. So what you're actually reading in the book of Acts is Luke is saying, let me, let me tell you what the early church was like. I was present and I was there. So here's what I want to do. I want to I look at the early com community for a few minutes here, looking at the um, components of their shared life. What were the things that the early church did? Um, I want to really quickly look at some different stages of the community. We're already seeing glimpses of it in this, in this passage. And then I want to end talking about the idea of covenant, a covenant community. What does it look like to actually commit to something? And we'll talk about that at the end. So let's go back to our passage here, just the first verse. They devoted themselves, and we're going to come back to that idea. They devoted themselves. To what, though? The apostles' teaching, number one. 
to fellowship, number two, to the breaking of bread, number three, and number four, to prayer. This is what the early church committed themselves to. And so let me just walk through these really quick. What was their commitment to? It was to the apostles' teaching. Well, they didn't have, you know, like the Bible like we have it today. So what was the apostles' teaching in that time? The apostles were, um, uh, that word apostles means like ones who are sent, and uh, they were with Jesus. And so we assume that the apostles' teaching was everything that Jesus did and said. They were the continuation of that. And so for us, we would say, okay, well, that's actually scripture. That's where we actually get this, um, uh, this apostles' teaching now, right? And I would just say for us, um, the Bible, we want to be a biblical community. It's our guide. Uh, the Bible is God's word pointing us to Jesus. It's giving us a, a shared and common language. The Bible, we believe, is inspired. We believe it to be true and authoritative. And so if I'm talking up here and I say something crazy, you know, you can grab your Bible and be like, Russell, I, I think you're wrong. And I would say, okay, yeah, let's look at this together. You know, I'm happy to be wrong in, in, in that way. And we were in, um, on Thursday night, we were in our, our Alpha course that we've been doing, and we had a wonderful discussion about the Bible. And one of the things that we um, kept talking about was how um, the Bible can be intimidating, but also that when we read it, it's like a book that's reading us more than we're reading it. It's sort of strange in that way that the Bible, page after page, is taking us off guard. It's surprising us. It's challenging us. It's pushing us. And then it just somehow... Um, ends up being, when you sit and you read your Bible, it ends up um, bringing you into participation with God on God's terms. And you're like, yeah, I think that book just read me. And the early church said, this is one of the things that we actually want to live under the Bible. Next is this word fellowship, or in the Greek, it's koinonia. We just call it community, which is like partnership or uh, family or communion. And when I read this passage, I thought, what does it mean that they devote themselves to community with one another? And I thought, oh, these people actually like being together. Like, they like each other. They're friends. They enjoy showing up and gathering um, for this, like, horizontal relationship, but it's actually all under this umbrella of this vertical relationship that we have with God. And Christian community is really unique in this sense, right? Like, you come in here today, and you're part of a bunch of different communities, right? Like, you, you are a part of a gym or, like, a club or a, a work environment, um, your family or a business or a book club or whatever, but what differentiates that from like a church community that you're a part of? And the thing that drew the early church together was a person. It, it was actually a person. Here's how Henry Nouwen says it. He says, similarities in educational background, psychological makeup, or social status can bring us together, but they can never be the basis for community. I think he means like true community. Community is grounded in God who calls us together the mystery of community is precisely that it embraces all people, whatever their individual differences may be, and allows them to live together as brothers and sisters of Christ and sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. I think this is just, this, is, this just makes me think, the church is so beautiful, right? Like, what, what kind of place can draw people from all walks of life that can be uh, unique and diverse backgrounds, but actually we come together and there's something we actually all have in common, which is our, at the very minimum, our interest in the person of Jesus. At most, it's, it's the fact that we would say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. He's a thing that like, makes my whole life make sense. And that's actually what we're trying to cultivate as a church. 
But the truth is, is we can actually be unalike in every other way, but have that one thing in common in which we're a community. What's the next one? Food. I love this. Breaking of bread. And the text says, the eating together with glad and sincere hearts. There's no better way to cultivate friendship than food, sharing meals, sitting around the table with one another, going out to dinner. Um, Particularly, I think, in our city, inviting people into our homes is um, a real act of intimacy. It's a step of relational intimacy with other people. I love that in our community group this winter and spring, um, at the very minimum, we shared dessert together. Dessert and tea was always available. We even, you know, had something. If you had a little dietary restriction, like, we're ready for you, all right? And it added a sort of um, level of togetherness for our community. And then what's this last one? Prayer. They took time together to pray. They didn't want um, the early church didn't want to live life in the, their own strength, but they actually wanted to say, God, we, we need your help. And what prayer did was it tethered them communally to God. So often when I think about prayer, I sort of see it as like an individualistic endeavor where I'm like approaching God with this self-centered grocery list of things to make my life more comfortable, right? That's kind of my, my prayers if I'm on my own. And then I think when I pray with other people, I just pray differently. I pray more outwardly. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray those, those self-centered laundry lists. Actually, I think that's a great way to learn to pray, right? We're taking sort of steps in learning to pray and talk to God. But look what happened to this community, verse, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Awe. I see a sense of purpose and unity, um, meeting together, um, sharing what they had, where there's this sort of like joy and generosity Um, I I love that in verse 47, it says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. It seems like they actually have goodwill in the community. They've they've actually established a reputation, right? And then in the last one, they were growing. People were coming to faith, right? And I read this and I'm like, yeah, this is what, this should be our dream for community, right? Like this, this should be our sort of longings. And and maybe, maybe there's even components of this where you'd say, you know what, I'd love to see that like at the gym, right? I'd love to see that type of depth, and maybe not. Maybe you're like, I just want to go work out. But maybe there are aspects of this where you'd say, actually, this is the thing that I I want, right? I want a friend group that has a a sort of joy and generosity that's together. And I kept reading this passage this week, and I thought, this is not realistic, right? This worked maybe in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, but like, it's 2023, right? uh, Meeting together every day, that doesn't seem very practical, right? Uh, awe, wonder, joy, goodwill. And I, I sort of read the passage and I thought, you know, it's just describing something. It's not prescribing something, right? That, that, that actually make, makes, it, makes me feel a little more comfortable about it. It's just describing something. It's not prescribing something. And, you know, one of the, one of the things, let me, let me be sort of realistic here. I was reading this week about how in most places, in most times throughout history, your life was more communal than it is today. Right in the past, you would spend time around your tribe, your extended family, and maybe the easiest way to say it is the world was smaller in a sense. So here's how we might look at it. There's, I'll just show you this chart really quick here. 
um, the communal space there in the middle made up the bulk of your life, right? If you look back in history, clans, tribes, villages, small communities, these groupings was where actually most of your life um, was, was lived, where you would socialize and you would trade and you would do business. It really happened in that communal sense. In the macro sense, meaning sort of groupings on a larger scale, so it could be like an empire or a kingdom or a government, you sort of exist in, in, in under that umbrella, but it's not the, the primary defining attribute of your social life. And then the individual is, you know, of course, down there with your inner life and thoughts. But throughout history, that's not the primary way. Um, that, that this, is, this right here is the primary way people thought. And we're seeing actually a, ma- a, a major shift here, and I'll show you this next part. This is the shift that we're beginning to see. I, I was like mining data and resources, so if you want more information about this, I can, I can send it to you. Um, but we actually have this massive shift going on through the development in the West with the Industrial Revolution. Um, cities are, are growing rapidly. Um, social life is beginning um, to, uh, to shift. And so what happens when cities grow is the state size has increased. Corporations are bigger, right? Um, globalization, the internet. So the macro is much bigger. So something has to give way, right? I looked the other day, um, I was on NYU's website, and it's like NYU, like if you think about NYU, you and I think Washington Square Park, right? Well, NYU has like a campus in Hong Kong, right? And so we, ha- we have to begin to already think differently uh, about our institutions that are far more globalized, that, you know, even when we think about, about money, what happens in, um, in China and what happens in Europe begins to, um, you know, when the market's open there, it shifts things and it gives us a picture of what's going to happen here. It's macro things going on in our culture, right? And then the other thing that's really fascinating, and this is a little bit of a confession time here, is that the individual level has, has increased as well, right? Our social obligation, our familial obligation shifts into what? Individual rights, right? That infringes on my individual rights, right? So it's the expanse of, of choice, and what happens is, is you get sort of this um, radical individualism that, that takes away, and what begins to shrink? The communal. I don't know about you, but even in, even in my own uh, friendships, I actually, um, I talked to my best friend on the phone uh, last night, one of my childhood best friends, and I realized, uh, we were on FaceTime, I haven't talked to him in like six months. You know, it was like one of my best friends, right? And so there's a shift in sort of how we view friendships and, you know, we pretend to keep up with each other's lives, you know, through social media or whatever it is. But what happens is, is the communal in our lives has shrunk. And these are the sort of the cultural waters that we are, that we're swimming in. So what does that begin to look like both in the church, but also like, let's think broader still about like the community in which, or the communities in which we exist. So let me show you, I think, some stages of community. And this, this first one is actually found perfectly in this text. I read the text and I was like, we have to attain this, right? This is the gold standard of how we exist in community. But I think what we're getting in this text is the first stage of community, which is excitement, right? This is so exciting. I'm here for the first time. I met some friends. They seem interested in me. This is going to be great. I just joined the gym. It seems like there's going to be some really nice um, people there. And what do we come into most environments? Um, We come very confident, but we come incompetent. We just simply don't know the things we don't know yet, right? It's the um, ignorance is bliss stage, right? The infatuation stage. 
Um, it's like a first date. Um, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I've been watching too many movies, but you come home, you fall on your bed, and you think, oh, I'm in love. That was the perfect date. Does anybody do that? No? Never been on this date? Okay. Um, maybe I've just been watching too many movies. But what happens is, is um, we come into a lot of environments. I'll, I'll try something different here, okay? It's not working. I can tell. We, we come into environments and we say, wow, this is, this is exciting, right? I'm, I'm going to be known here. I'm going to find depth here. But it's exciting for now, right? It's, if, going back to that date, it's like you, you experience the date, but you haven't experienced yet the person not texting you back for three days, right? And so it's hopeful in the moment. It's looking good. But the hard part about living life in community is that you never stay in this first stage, which is excitement. You quickly often come to the second one, which is disillusionment, right? There's a sort of um, sense of letdown or conflict come your, comes your way. Or, or you're in the community, but even in the midst of it, you sense a little bit of loneliness or homesickness or a setback. And what we see in the passage is we sort of see this ideal set up. And then if you go read Acts 3 through uh, like 8, what you find is conflict, um, even, even the, the disciples themselves parting ways later on in chapters uh, 10, 11. And so what actually happens is this sense of delusionment is very realistic. And so you can actually find this, the stages of community inside the book of, of Acts itself. But let's hone in on, on the church for just a second. Right, you you you've been around. You see a little bit behind the scenes, right? And I don't I don't just mean this church. Like I, I hope I hope this isn't even true of us. But you see behind the scenes, and you think these people are not as friendly, you know, as I thought, right? There's some there's actually some clicks going on. Or what you begin to see is, you know, what this actually community has faults. They they make decisions that I don't I just don't like the way they even make decisions. I wasn't included on something. What's happening? The fun and the excitement is going away. And you quickly are moving from enthusiasm to a sense of delusionment. New isn't new anymore, right? You've, you've gone on three, four dates, and it was really cute in the beginning when they got nervous and bit their nails, but now you're like, stop biting your nails, right? Okay? And so that, that disappointment comes, that the discovery that something is not as good as it used to be. And this is just real. And, and let me just say, a lot of people eject right here. This is going to happen. This is going to happen in this community. Like I said, I hope it doesn't. But a lot of people eject here. And there, let, me, let me caution myself here. There are real reasons to actually leave a community, including a church. That would be sort of like um, doctrine, right, and, and integrity. Those would be real reasons. And maybe you've, you've actually experienced that before. And so I don't, want to, I don't want to neglect that. And I can equally say, that there's value in pushing through delusion, uh, this, this um, state of delusionment, disillusionment. That there's actually something, there's a turn that we can make, right? And that doesn't mean always that we make it all the way through. That's, that's not what I'm saying either. But when we, when we continue, when we push through that, we can actually enter what's called an adjustment phase. You're pushing through the disillusionment, and you're finding, I'm coming to terms with the current circumstances, I'm finding my voice in the conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm checking on things along the way. I'm asking the right questions doctrinally, biblically. I'm, I'm beginning to actually push in. And what do you find in these moments? You find growing enthusiasm, growing confidence. You, see, um, you still see the things that are broken, 
But a lot of times what you're saying is, hey, I want to actually be a part of the solution. I'm stepping in and I want to make the adjustment. Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. He said, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. I have seen this to be true so many times in the church where even, even in myself, I'm like, um, I, I, it's my goal to craft this wonderful communal environment where everyone is welcome. We're going to do, you know, whatever event. And I thought I had this great idea and it just didn't pan out. And then simply I picked up my phone and, and called, a, called a friend and just said, how are you doing? I care about you. And what, what am I then doing? I'm actually practicing that. I'm actually cultivating the community that I want to see and be a part of. And what's the last stage then? Adjustment. After that comes growth. And I love that you see this directly in our passage today, right? The community is growing. You, of course, see it, you know, um, in, in, in the entire book of Acts. The church is just exploding. And then, of course, you see it in, in history, right? Things were hard. But along the way, when the disillusionment came through conflict, you said, you know what? Rather than just ejecting from that, I'm actually going to meet the person that I had a conflict with. I'm going to work on adjusting with them. And we can actually still exist in community together. Maybe we're not the best of friends, but we can be in the same room with one another, right? And you might be saying to yourself, well, Russell, is community really supposed to be this hard? Maybe, maybe that's what you're saying. Like, shouldn't it, sh- that you're, you're kind of making it sound dramatic, right, to be in community. Shouldn't it be easy? Well, I, w- I would just say the same thing. Shouldn't, shouldn't our friendships be easy? And the answer is no, They should not be easy because you showed up here with your mess and I showed up here with my mess. I'm broken, you're broken, and guess what we did? We just put all of our sin together in the same room, right? And you say, well, yeah, yeah, that that is actually true. And then you say, well, what's the solution? And you say, keep going, right? Keep going, excitement, disillusionment, adjustment, growth. And let me go back to that that number two there um, so we can push forward in the right way. If you've been that at a church in the past, be mindful of it. And I just, I just, I just say this um, with, with grace. Um, I don't know what you've been through, and I know that um, it's, it should be the safest place in the world to exist, the church. But if you've been to a church that's hurt you in the past, be mindful of that. Like, deal with that. Come, come tell me about it. I'd lo- I would love to, to hear you and learn from you because these are very real scenarios. And like I said, the church should be the safest place to exist as yourself. But I'm mindful that there is a lot of history and a lot of hurt. But if we just bring the same problems from a previous place here without ever resolving them, probably crop up here. I'm not perfect by any means. I'm going to make mistakes too. And so what's the solution to pushing through some of this? I think the answer is found very simply in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves. No one did it for them, right? This is a, a, a self-motivation, right? The, the, in the Greek there, it's proskar toreo. It means um, they were steadfast, they were constant, they were um, committed. And what I love about the book of Acts is it just sort of picks up and the church is just exploding. Well, what are they doing? They're responding to the gospel. They're responding to the good news, right? Uh, Luke's gospel is chronicling the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And they're just picking up right there in community. And they're saying, we're actually just going to keep responding to what Jesus is doing. That's what they're devoting themselves to 
Jesus the person, and then what's the outflowing of it? The church, his body, right? The church is the body of Christ, and we have different members to that body. And I think what, when, I, when, I read, when I read this passage this week, I thought, that right there div, uh, encapsulates our value, covenant community, people devoting themselves, right? And so what, is a, what does that word covenant mean? Because it's kind of out of touch in some ways with sort of uh, a word we might use in the day-to-day. A covenant is a formal and self-giving promise of two parties to another. And then Tim Keller says it like this. He says, a covenant is a stunning blend of both law and love. It's a relationship more intimate and loving than a mere legal contract could create, yet one more enduring and binding than personal affection alone could make. A stunning blend of both law and love. And I love that. It's, um, it's self-giving. That's the thing that you find in the text, right? Formal and yet self-giving. It's more intimate and loving than, you know, like signing a contract, but it's more binding than a mere relationship. And culturally, pretty much the only way we have to understand this idea of covenant is marriage. Marriage is like the covenant relationship that we probably uh, think of. My wife, Katie, and I have actually been, um, next week, we'll have been married for eight years. And yeah, it's awesome. Um, we made it eight years. Um, but what, what were we doing that day we got married, right? What, what were we doing? We were committing ourselves to one another, right? It was formal and it was self-giving, right? It was more um, intimate and loving because we were committing ourselves to each other in that way. Um, and it was formal, right? There was, there was papers we actually signed. And I always tell people when I do weddings that um, really the, the main thing you're doing at a wedding is your vows. You're, 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 you're saying your words to one another. And I, the thing I love about vows is they're not really a declaration about your present feelings. They're really, they really don't have a lot to do with the present moment, but actually you're talking to your future self and your future spouse, right? right? You say things like, I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and tough times, as long as we both shall live. You're saying, I'm with you now, but I'm also with future you, and I commit myself to future you. And if I'm honest... We don't have a lot of spaces like that in our culture where we commit ourselves uh, in that way. In fact, it seems a little bit intense, right, to, to, to think of it that way, this, this idea of covenant. And maybe you'd even say, well, why don't we just think up a better word, like a, a more um, up-to-date word? And I would say just because we don't have a category for it um, culturally in the here and now doesn't mean we should actually shy away from the beauty and the depth of it um, because it can actually challenge us in the here and now when we're non-committal, um, when we get burned out on other people, it can actually give us a level of depth. So let me just show you one example of this in the Bible. There are a ton of these in the Bible. Let me show you a little bit of a strange one, um, but it's kind of fun. Um, God, throughout Scripture, is entering into covenant relationships. He does it very early on in the Bible with Noah, with Abraham, who we'll look at, with David, um, uh, with Israel. And our God is like the DTR God, right? Like he wants to define the relationship. He wants to put a label on it. And this is what he does um, in Genesis chapter 12. This is chapter 15. But let me, let me set this up here. And I'll be, I'll, I won't read 
12 through 17, uh, which would be also be a, a worthy endeavor. Uh, but Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram, and Abraham is a story of remarkable promise and obedience and faith. And um, God essentially comes to Abraham and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the land I'll show you. And it's like, God, you got any details for me? I'm, I like details, right? Go into the land I will show you. And then eventually he says, I will make you a father of many nations. The problem is, is Abraham and Sarah are in their 80s. And in chapter 15, Abraham has pretty much had enough, right? You said you were going to make me the father of many nations, but I'm still childless. And here's what it says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give to me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, like long lost cousin or something like that, right? Like, what good are your promises, God, if I don't have a son? Is essentially what he's saying. Someone to carry on my line, right? And God in the passage comes to him and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. God wants to like put stamps on these things. You say, well, Abraham is like, I'm, so, I'm still frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm trying to be obedient to you. I'm very old. I'm tr- we're trying to have kids. We're trying to keep going. And God is like, don't worry. I got you. I got you. I got you. Why, why, doesn't, you know, why, why is this even here? I thought, why didn't Abraham just give up? Why didn't God give up in this moment? Why didn't God find another, another pathway? And it, the reason is, is that it's in the context of covenant. It's in the context of commitment and official connection with God that God makes himself fully known to us. It's in the context uh, there where he expresses himself personally to people. And so we pick up in verse 4. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, the long-lost cousin, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. And right here what you get is a relational covenant, a promise made from God to Abraham. There's a bond, and there's a connection. And I won't, I won't read the next part, but Abraham still has questions. He says, God, how can I really know that you're going to keep your promises? I'm, I'm old. And God says this really weird thing in verse 9. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring me a cow. He's like, what is happening? Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And this is like a bizarre and zany story to us. You're like, what is happening in the passage? Abraham knows exactly what God is doing. The equivalent would be God saying, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. Grab a lawyer, grab a pen, grab a notary. You and I are about to write up a binding arrangement. And this is how it would have happened. This is a crazy story. Just hang with me. I promise it will make sense in the end. He says, go get the cow. And so an animal um, would actually um, come and and be cut in half. They take the cow and they put the legs in the air. It's so gruesome. And they would cut it down the middle. And this would be called a blood covenant. Life must be given, blood must be shed for this covenant to be official. And Abraham knew he was entering into a a, a covenant with God in this way, this sort of irrevocable contract. Next would be the walk of death. And at this point, the covenant partners would stand around 
um, the cows. And, and what they would do is um, they would stand facing each other and they would walk in a figure eight. This is crazy. They walk through like the cow in like a figure eight through the blood. And you would say this as you walk through it. May this happen to me. May I be cut in two and my blood be thrown everywhere if I break this covenant, all right? If your lease is up in a few months, I, I dare you. I dare you to do this, right? May this happen to me. May I get another month free, you know, like as you're walking through or something like that. Abraham knows what God is doing. God is saying, I'm going to keep my promise because that's who I am. I'm the covenant-making and I'm the covenant-keeping God. And I want you to model it too, right? So, so that's what happens. Not loosely, but in an official way. Because this is who our God is. He keeps his promises. God is faithful. He doesn't give up on these things. And so, what does it mean then for us to be a covenant community? And that's a very bizarre and strange answer, and I promise we don't do that in our membership class. Um, I promise. Um, But let me put this before you before we wrap up, is that we live in a time where commitment is lacking, right? We live in a time where we'd actually much rather have the contract than the covenant. Let me, let me, let me put this up for you here. And we, ha- we live in a time where we're skeptical of other people, right? We're scared. I have doubts about you. A contract is always going to say business, right? What is it going to take? But a covenant is relational in nature and says whatever it takes, Right? Think about marriage in, in that example. Like, I'm in this. I'm committed to you. I'm, I'm ready to go. Right? A contract is conditional. I'll do my part if you do yours. Right? Where um, a covenant is unconditional. I'll do my part whether you do yours or not. And I'm just going to be honest. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. Right? That's hard to live within. A contract is... Um, is uh, Come to on compromise, right? I'll, I'll meet you halfway. Let's work out a deal. But a covenant is about sacrifice. I'll actually go all the way. A contract is temporary, right? Once all the conditions are met, the contract is, is complete, whereas the covenant is permanent. I will do this as long as I live. That's, that's what we say in the, in the um, marriage vows. And here's the last one. The contract brings about uncertainty. I'm not so sure. But a covenant says, I'll do my part as I trust. A contract is fine when you're signing a lease. It doesn't work in a marriage. It doesn't work to build the right commitment and um, relationship that we actually are desperately looking for. And if we're honest, I think if if we were really, really honest, we would say, I want to make contracts with other people, but I want them to covenant to me. That's the kind of relationship that I want to live in. And as a covenant community that we want to build is that we want to have a commitment to a shared life together, right? And that doesn't mean, you know, like I read this passage and I'm like, there are things that apply and we have to navigate what's realistic for our season of life, our stage of life. And um, as we're growing and learning, we're making mistakes and we're trying things, and, but we're committed, right? Because it's in the context of commitment that we actually learn to follow Jesus. That's actually how we do it. So let me just put this in front of you, two questions here, and then I'll walk us through this, this uh, covenant here. What are you committed to? Like, wh- what, is, what is it that you're actually giving yourself to? And I would just say it this way. There are some things in your life that you maybe are, like, half committed to, and you should just stop being committed to them. Like, there's my pastoral advice for you today. I, you know, I don't, I don't, it's not very deep, right? Um, 
But I, I think there are things that we would say, why, why am I doing that? Because I'm not, I'm not doing it very well, and I'm not really ultimately committed to it. Don't do that with your job quite yet. You know, like maybe think about a next job before you do that. But is it, uh, you know, is it work? Is it a relationship? Is it a, is it a club? Is it this place? Um, and then the, the question on the other side would be, in terms of commitment, is your word valuable? Is your commitment valuable? Is, is what you say, what you do, do you follow through? Are you a person of integrity in those areas? When you make the commitment, do you, do you actually see it through? And, and, and hear me really well this morning. You can hear that as sort of a, um, like a moralistic principle, but actually what I'm saying is, is as a people, we actually keep our word because we believe God keeps his word, right? And out of the overflow of God keeping his word, we say, well, I'm actually responding to God when I keep my word because I believe that he keeps his word. And so I want to invite you, um, if you've been around here for uh, six months or more, I want to invite you to our membership class next week um, to ask questions, um, to hear about all the things that I'm talking about. On the piano in the back, um, we have a church family covenant. There are no cows and blood and walking through, anything like that, I promise. Um, But just look this over. Um, This is a way of saying, hey, you know what, I'm actually on board with um, the the vision, the direction of this community, and I, I want to be a part of it. And then here's what I would say. If you've been around here for six months or less, um, we have a newcomer's lunch. I can't remember when it is, but if you've just been here for a couple of times, I would, we would love to have you um, come to that. If you're coming for like the first, second time, come here for six weeks. I would challenge you, if you can, come six weeks in a row. Um, you're, you're known in that way. Your face is seen. Uh, there's a sort of repetition. You're learning some of the ways we do things. Then you're actually building up the, the questions that you might have about I- existing in community. But I'll just leave that with you today. What are you committed to? And what does it look like to actually um, let, your, um, let your words matter? And then the last thing I'll say is that um, with this, if you would say, um, you know what, I'm not, I'm not sure like, how I feel about Jesus. I'm not sure how I feel about something on this page. Does that mean I can't like, exist here anymore? Further from the truth, Right. We want people to sign this to say, hey, I know what we're doing. We're on board. We're on common mission. But if you would say, you know what? I actually just kind of like coming here, and I don't want to do anything with that, that's perfectly acceptable. And I want to make that very, very clear. We just love when people say this because we get to say, we're doing this together. We're not alone. We're, doing, we're on board together. So um, next week, this is the last thing. Um, you can skip these. Uh, left them in the back there. Um, next week... We're, is going to be our second week of Covenant Community, and we're going to have a little bit of a panel. I'm going to have like a very short teaching um, on what our foundation is and what the frame of a house kind of looks like, uh, but we're going to do a panel. So when you text REUNION to 97000, you're going to automatically get a text back. You can actually always just respond to that. Um, you can say, um, send me information about membership class. You can say, um, why is Brandon so cool? Uh, you can say whatever. We will get those. We will respond to them. But um, if you have a question around community, maybe it's uh, structural, how we do things. Uh, maybe it's uh, around how to get into a community group. What's sort of the idea? How do you look at this passage? It can be whatever. We would love for you to submit questions um, for that, or you can just come tell us, and uh, we'll get them in. We're going to have a panel uh, next week, so I'll have a very short teaching, and then we'll uh, filter through um, as many questions as we can with the allotted time. So um, the band can come up if you guys want to come up. Let me pray, um, and then uh, Brandon will come up for communion.
Uh, Lord, thank you for letting us gather faithfully today. Um, I pray today would be an encouragement um, to who we are, to the ways that we say yes to certain things, to the ways in which we say um, no. I pray that as a community, we would come here and that we would build each other up, that we would fight gossip, um, that we would fight cliques, that we would fight um, a lack of inclusion. And I pray, God, that we would be a community that's supporting one another in these ways, that we're praying for one another. And Lord, just to be reminded today that this is your church, that you care for us, that you love us, and that you'll see us through. We love you, Jesus. In the name we pray.